You're listening to the Bcast, the official podcast of bplans.com. Each week we discuss the latest news, resources, and advice for entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm Jonathan Michael. And I'm Peter Thorson. This week we hear from one of our listeners. Peter and I discuss small business incubators, and our guest Caroline gives us the top 10 reasons startups fail. Hey guys, before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to read an email that we got from one of our listeners. His name's Charlie, and he responded to our question last week about whether you should stick to the plan or change it. He says, hey guys, great episode. I've been thinking a lot about your question of sticking to the plan or changing it. You can only make decisions with the information you have. What if you get offered new critical information that will affect your plan? What if something dramatically changes in the market? Or, what if a new brilliant idea that you hadn't considered when you were planning emerges? The solution? Build in fluidity to your business plans. This is exactly what I do, and I'll tell you how it's worked. I'd implemented a business plan including marketing, engagement, sales strategy, and realized a few months in that it wasn't servicing a key influencer in the sales process. There was no way of my knowing about this key segment of the sales process when I was writing the plan. So I tweaked the plan and built servicing this type of client in. Now we're miles ahead of where we thought we'd be and we've won huge projects just by calling on and marketing to this segment. Really just a tweak, not much had to be done. So you've probably guessed that I advocate changing rather than sticking to business plans. Thanks for the podcast and the site and articles. It's been a great help to my work. Cheers, Charlie. Well, thanks for that email, Charlie. We appreciate you writing back and letting us know what you thought of the episode. And of course, for the rest of our listeners, if you are interested in contacting us, you can do that by emailing bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. All right, let's get the show started. What if I don't have those things, I'm not established, but I do have a good idea, I've maybe done a little bit of work, but I need to get to the next step and I don't have what it takes. Where do I go, what do I do? Yeah, so that's a perfect question for a recent article we posted uh, called Q&A with Business Incubator co-founder Joe Marushek. All right, who's Joe? Well, fortunately, I know how to pronounce his name because I've helped him out with some of his incubator work. But uh, Joe is a local uh, sort of entrepreneurial champion here in here in Oregon. He's uh, he's helped uh, a lot of small businesses succeed. He's helped uh, startup weekend events here locally. Uh, Startupweekend.org is a great you know sort of one weekend way of testing an idea. So you can go to a weekend event, take your idea there. See if it sticks. See what happens. <laughs> Maybe build a team, see if you can start developing it, that kind of thing. That sounds cool. Um, and then Joe talks a little bit about this idea of incubators. And an incubator, uh, which by the way, and not to get this too confusing, an incubator is like an accelerator. And over time, the two have started to become a little bit more similar. Okay. Uh, in probably even five years ago, an incubator was a thing where you would go to a space and people would help you literally incubate your idea. Okay. So think about you know warming that egg, mm-hmm. keeping it nice and safe. You know, your idea isn't going to get pierced by arrows. You're not going to get defunded or run out of town by your investors. Everything's going to be very safe in this space. And by the time you get out, hopefully you'll be a little bit stronger and ready to face the world. While an accelerator typically meant you are going to start with your idea. Okay. You're going to develop, develop, develop. Yep. And if you don't get kicked out of the accelerator, 
you will get funding of some sort. All right. Uh, you know, Techstars is probably the most famous accelerator. But the idea of the accelerator versus the incubator, you know, because there's this live-in feel, because there's this very early stage feel to them both, mm -hmm. they started to get a little bit more pushed together. But the basic idea is if that's you, if that's your stage, if you've got what you believe is a genuinely great idea, if you want to test this, if you want to, you know, throw the spitballs against the wall and see if they stick, mm -hmm. if you have all of the development but none of the business knowledge, right. or all the business but none of the development knowledge, let's say, or you have a product and a patent but no way of bringing it to market. These are all great reasons to check out your local incubator. And everyone has a local incubator? There's, They're all across the country? That's a great question. They do seem to be popping up all across the country. Certainly cool. there are some that are more famous than others. Uh, you know, there's some fantastic uh, producers in terms of who the output of those uh, accelerators and incubators have been in Washington, D.C., Chicago, San Francisco. Here in Oregon, we've got some in Portland that are really great. And then this article talks about some here in Eugene, Oregon, which are uh, doing well, but fairly new. So definitely check out your area if you need to get on a plane and stay somewhere for three weeks or three months. Think of it maybe as an apprenticeship, you know, the dedication that you have to that early stage business. And if you really want to get some sort of business out of that idea, this might be what it takes. Okay. So tell us more about Joe. What's he doing? What's he founded? So Joe originally started this uh, organization called the Ferdy Lab, Thank You Bader, which is an incubator that focuses on uh, medical science, uh, that kind of biotech industry focused stuff. So if you've got an idea for some kind of microchip that'll detect some kind of bacteria, mm -hmm. it's the perfect place for you to go. Now, for some reason, we have a pretty good concentration of that here in Oregon, and we can accommodate an entire incubator that will focus on that, which is awesome. Uh, the, again, the cool thing is with a, with a device like that, with a science like that, there's a lot of early stage proving ground needed. There's sure. a lot of you know getting out and making sure people actually want to buy it. The customer validation phase is critical for that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, meeting with lawyers, meeting with you know local uh, professionals, that kind of thing, are all part of this. And so that's what Joe provides in this environment. He will literally have you know the local small business lawyers come in, not just do a little presentation and leave, but also meet with those uh, folks in the incubator, which is great. Uh, the interesting thing about Joe is he also does a local accelerator called Rain. So he's been kind of running both these things now oh, at once. Okay. Uh, and Rain is a, is a, is a program that is exactly uh, like the traditional accelerator, except there's no guaranteed funding. So you know, Jonathan, if you had this idea for your uh, you know cold bread store, it's gonna sell like hotcakes, but more like cold cakes, right? Oh, see, you yeah. got your, you that's got your my tagline slogan. And everything, yeah, nailing it. Yeah, so if you got the the cold bread store, you wanted to figure out if people would actually be interested in that. You wanted to see if maybe you could pitch some investors. Mm -hmm. If that's the stage your idea was in, well, then you know this might be the place for you. What you do in this in a situation like that is you end up kind of going almost every day. In this case, five days a week. It's basically a full time job. It's almost as if you're working at this future looking company that you will be running or that you will be, you know, a major portion of. Uh, but also there's integrated mentoring, mm -hmm. uh, there's integrated uh, training in terms of like how to pitch your business, in terms of what you need to be thinking about. If you're making money, if you've got a profit center, yeah. there's going to be some folk coming in and doing some of those initial audits, doing some of that initial double check, making sure you're doing everything correctly. 
Uh, or if you're building software, it might just be some other folks who have built software that's similar in the past and just you know there to give you feedback. So how do you get into an incubator? Like, do you have to prove that you validated the idea? Or can you just go in and kick the tires? Like, what's the entry? Yeah, great question. I I would say if your goal is to get to tech stores or bust, uh-huh. then you shouldn't be asking that question. <laughs> you need to be really ahead of your game, okay. and you need to be top of game uh, in terms of the technology that you're presenting. It's a very specific accelerator. It's a very uh, prestigious accelerator, and that's why they can kind of guarantee the funding that goes along with it. That said, a lot of these local incubators and accelerators that have been popping up mm-hmm. are hungry for dedicated talent. Okay. So if you can provide a pretty good idea and a great level of dedication and enthusiasm, there's a good chance that your local groups are going to want you there. So go ahead and do that research, find those people, start talking to them. A lot of them will be able to just answer the phone and talk you through the process. Uh, and again, you know, set your sights exactly at the level that you know, your idea deserves. Okay, awesome. That sounds like a great interview with Joe and awesome to learn more about him and also about incubators and accelerators. Uh, anything else we should know about Joe or are we cool to move on? I think we're cool to move on. We're cool to Do move on. Do you feel like we're cool to move on? I feel like we're cool to move on. I hope we're cool to move on. Cool. Cool. Ice cold. That's great. So we've got a very special guest here today. So special, we've uh, had her on twice. Now. Yeah, it's welcome back, Caroline Cummings. It's very good special. To be back. All right, very special. What are we talking about today? Well, what are we talking about today? Well, we've got you know all sorts of topics to cover, but I think Caroline is going to talk to us about why startups fail. Yes. The F word. The F word. I'm going to talk about the importance of the F word. The F word. So not yeah. food. Not friends. All right. So no, we're not Gordon foes. Ramsay up in here. <laughs> All right. The not. F word that is fail. The four-letter F word yeah. that is fail. So people are, are scared of failing. Is that right? People are frightened of failing. Unfortunately, in our culture, not just in our business culture, but in our social culture, people don't talk about failure. And in the business world, that's where innovation comes from. It comes from failure. And I like to say that success is actually a terrible teacher. So the reason I'm such an expert on failure is because I've had two tech startups and the first one failed. Hmm. And I learned way more from that one. Um, The second one I actually sold and didn't learn hardly anything from that one. But the first one that failed, I learned a lot. Um, So after that company failed, I went on and interviewed a bunch of investors that I had met and also some other CEOs who had failed companies prior to their successes now and asked them, you know, why did these companies fail in your portfolio or why did the companies you've started fail? And I started to see some common themes that came to surface and so I compiled this top 10 list of the reasons why startups fail. Okay, so the top 10 reasons why startups fail. Yeah, so the number one reason is team, the wrong team. And this is so important because investors really invest in people first and ideas second. So I've heard that a lot of times when I was pitching to investors for funding, they first said, okay, well tell me about yourself and your co-founders and your team. So if you have the wrong people leading a company, then 
that's going to cause a lot of challenges. It's going to show up in a lot of different ways. And a great example is that we were the wrong team. I mean, our business model was Pinterest. Pinterest didn't exist at the time. We were doing social bookmarking around health and wellness products. And it was 07, 08, and then we had the whole crash. And so um, it goes to show you that the business model was good, but we just were not the right team. Mm. So the second reason is actually still a part of team, but it's the single founder. And it doesn't mean that if you're one person and you start a company that you're going to be a failure, but the research does show that when there's only one founder, the chances of failure increase significantly because of the things you would imagine. You're only talking to yourself. Um, you have skill sets that are limited. There's never a person I've met who can do everything that it takes to run a business. So the single founder is the second reason. So for both of those issues, whether you're a single founder or you have the wrong team, I mean, what can you do to fix that? Well, there's an exercise actually that I do when I sit down with people who are starting companies and I get them to list out all of the sales that they have on a board and get down to the nitty gritty. Like I can program HTML or I know search engine optimization or I can make cold calls or I can write press releases, whatever they are. And have your business partner do the same thing. And then take a good look at that list and see what's missing to run a business. And I've done this with lots of founders and we usually glaringly see skills missing like financial management or <laughs> HR management or digital marketing or whatever that those things are. And, and then that way you at least know who your first or second hires should be in your company. So the number three reason that startups fail is having the wrong legal team. Hmm. So it sort of follows one and two, which still have to do with team. This is extended team. And we had the wrong legal team in my first startup. And they presented themselves as business attorneys. And they had, in fact, worked with other businesses. But they never worked with a high-growth startup. They never worked with a startup who had needed to raise multiple rounds of financing. They never worked with startups who needed to put together um, you know, private placement memos for investors, capitalization tables, and all of those kinds of things. So I now have a checklist that you use when you interview a lawyer to make sure they're the right team member as part of your extended team. So it might be like a checklist within a bigger list, but if we're wanting to get the right legal team, what are a couple of factors that you should pay attention to? So one of them is when you meet with them, their office is, is organized. And this is big because it shows that if it's a mess and there's paper piled everywhere in a bunch of folders that they're really busy and they don't have time for you. You also do want to ask them, how much time do you have for me? Particularly if you're doing a high growth startup where you need to raise money and you have an investor tomorrow say, okay, I'm ready to give you a $100,000 check, but send me some docs. And you're like, ah, oh. and your lawyer's in Hawaii, right? And they don't have someone else who can step <laughs> right. in. So you want to make sure that right out of the gate, you shouldn't even have to ask all those questions. They should be telling you how they're going to take care of you. You also want to make sure they have experience in your industry and that they're willing to share references. So number four, what's number four? The number four reason is boiling the ocean. Never heard of it. Never heard of it? Okay. Well, it's basically when you're trying to be everything for everyone. Like, okay. I'm the Facebook meets the Uber meets the Google meets the coffee shop down the street, all in one. And 
whenever you say that to an investor, they're like, mm, you know what, how are you all of those things? So just pick one thing and do it really, really well. So if you're opening a cupcake stand, just do cupcakes really well. And if you are launching a website where you're doing some online marketing, just do that really well. Don't try and all of a sudden add in search engine optimization and whatever else to the mix. Do one thing really well, and then you can start to expand from there. So right out of the gate, if you're trying to boil the ocean, not good. I get it. So if you're trying to do all those things, it's like trying to boil the ocean. Exactly. <laughs> Which is hard, I suppose. Which is hard. Yeah. Difficult. It takes a lot of energy. You could take a cup of it and boil that, but not the entire right. ocean. It's a good thermodynamics lesson as well. I would think so. Not for this podcast, but for maybe <laughs> another one. Number five. <laughs> Number five is not talking to customers. You might think that is a duh. Well, of course you need to talk to your customers. But I can't tell you how many companies I've coached, where I, I've coached hundreds, but I can't tell you how many of them say, uh, we're, we're building this product, we're working on this, and I say, oh, so what do your customers think? And they say, well, we don't have any customers yet. Well, that's okay, you might not have customers yet, but what about your prospective customers? What do they think? Are you building this all alone on an island by yourself, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror saying, this is really awesome? That's not really helpful. You need to go out and do some customer development. You need to do some research. You need to talk to real people who will use your product. Taste the product, wear the product, use the product, click on the product, whatever it might be, and then build the product with them as opposed to building it and they will come. That, that only works on Field of Dreams. Right. So is there a problem if you talk to customers too much? You get you know pulled apart in too many directions? Is it possible to get too much feedback while you're trying to get a company built in that early stage? I think that's possible. Um, you want to make sure you diversify your customer base. You're not just picking two and listening to them, mm. particularly if one's your mom and one's your neighbor. Right. That's you know, you you want to talk to people who actually would buy your product or use your service, and you want to ask them for their opinion. And don't reward them with cash. We learned that the hard way. They actually want to be rewarded and be champions for you. So they want you know discounts. They want to be able to put a badge or something, whatever it is that works for your business model. But don't pay them. So that's the number five reason that startups fail. That's okay. Jonathan's philosophy on keeping me on this podcast. Don't pay him. Not don't rewarding pay him. me with any kind <laughs> that's of That's right. He's got to earn it. That's right. So number six is an interesting one and this mainly applies to technology companies or people who are building products is remaining stealth too long mm -hmm. and with that is also being slow to launch you know I've, a lot of companies say oh I just I can't put it out there yet it's not perfect or I don't I don't want to make this live because I'm afraid of what people might say about it well that's what beta is for you know you launch your beta product you launch your beta site or your beta service so that you can get some real feedback from real customers at that point so don't be afraid to take too long particularly nowadays if you are doing technology it's a lot cheaper to launch something and there are a lot of tools out there that allow you to you know build a minimum viable product and throw it out into the market and test it before you spend all the money and later realize that oh now you're going to talk to your customer and that's not what they wanted so you're solving a pain that you thought they had but in fact they really didn't so that's the number six reason but what if you you know want to keep it more secret because you're afraid somebody's going to steal the idea before you can officially launch i would say 10 out of 10 entrepreneurs I talk to say that, mm -hmm. so it's good that you brought that up because it is a fear that people are afraid someone's going to steal it. And 
You, you have to get it out there though. How else are you going to get feedback from it? And if you're constantly worried about people stealing your idea, then you're focused on that and you're not focused on building your product. Right. So just put the stinking thing out there and let people respond to it. And if you truly are doing something unique that no one else is doing and you're solving a pain in a unique way, then you're going to rock it. You're going to kill it. Yeah, also no offense to the people out there, but there's billions of people in the world. If you're solving a real problem, it's a good chance that someone else has thought of your solution as well. So the idea of keeping it secret is often a bit of a fallacy. This mm. idea that I've got this magic bullet solution, yeah. you know, it's it's chances are it's out there already. Chances are other people are developing at the same time. So the faster you can get out to market, the faster you can develop those customer bases, in our experience, we've seen from, from the businesses we've talked to, the faster you can get early market advantage. So, yeah. cool tip. Yeah, and number seven actually flows in nicely with it because this number seven reason that startups fail is that they're stuck on the original idea. Hmm. So you can imagine that if you aren't launching it and you're taking forever to do all these iterations of your product to get it perfectly, and by the time you launch it, it's too late because you're so stuck on that idea. So for example, in our first company, our idea was not to do the social bookmarking. The original idea was actually to do the business model that is now Threadless, before Threadless was existing. Hmm. We were gonna do this fun thing that people can you know, design t-shirts and people vote on it and then whichever one won, it's like, ha, huh, someone has now done that. But we did the financials on that and we thought there's really not a there there. <laughs> at least we couldn't see it at that point. So mm -hmm. we pivoted and we pivoted to do the osoeco.com, which was basically the early business model of Pinterest. So if you're stuck on that idea, then you may just get in the way of the success of your business. It's interesting. I wonder if it comes from the past, that, that sort of the motivation to be focused on getting that original idea perfect where you know ideas were more typically invention based or engineering mm -hmm. based. I mean if you're going to build a time machine, right? It's got to work before you launch it. It's got to be done before it hits market. The idea of a beta time machine is uh, the stuff of movies maybe. And scary. I don't want to beta time travel. It just depends <laughs> on if it's a comedy movie or a, a horror really, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So all right. Good point. But I think, you know, maybe that, that thinking comes from maybe more that physical products perspective. Yeah. And a lot of things these days, a lot of small businesses these days are not about pure invention, pure product. So, mm -hmm. And that's awesome. why it's important to surround yourself with advisors and mentors, people who can, you know, give you sanity checks so that hopefully you're not doing the things that are on this list. Okay. Okay. So number eight, this is something we did in our first company was take dumb money. And by dumb money, I mean it's money that doesn't work for you. Smart money should bring more to the table than just a cha-ching in your bank account. It should also bring network, social network of other investors. It should also help bring customers. It should bring some maybe some management experience that you may or may not have. It should bring more to the table than just the money. Now that said, there are silent investors that are great. But in our situation, um, we had taken a $300,000 angel investment check from an individual who, he was worth about $400 million, so we thought this guy might know something about making money, but he had no business investing in a fast growth internet startup because he didn't have the background, but then he was on our board and he was making decisions that he didn't have a background in. Hmm. Um, bigger than that was a, we had an operating agreement 
that had a non-dilution clause for him. And I don't want to get into the weeds in, of that in this cast. We could do that in another one. <laughs> um, however, he got in the way of our of taking on additional funding. We had another million committed, and because of that clause, we couldn't take that. So Ouch. it it was dumb money. And a lot of times people think, oh, here, here, I want to give you twenty five thousand for your business, or oh, here's twenty five million for your business. It doesn't matter what the amount of the money is. They really need to bring something to the table and not hurt your business. So you want to make sure you interview those investors before you get into business with them. That's great. And if anyone wants to hear about some uh, tips on non-dilution clauses, definitely <laughs> write us at Bcast. Love to hear some more about that, but that's great, Carolyn. Great. And so number nine is getting this disease called founderitis. Yikes. What is that? Yikes. Peter, look, that. Peter looks like he has it, actually. It? I don't want it. <laughs> you get itchy. You get separate microphones. Your hair on. falls out. I think I tested negative, so it's all clear. <laughs> so founderitis is actually when the founders of the company, their ego gets in the way of the future of the company. So for example, in my first company, I had investors say to me, okay, Caroline, you're the CEO of the company right now and you're raising a million dollars in this first round. Um, what if two years from now, what if we put money in and two years from now, we don't think that you're the right person to be the CEO? And that's when I said, well, you guys probably should have read my full business plan because you would see in my business plan that I have a succession plan in there that I'm a starter. I like to get things rolling. And then after two years, I would want to move into maybe the chief marketing officer role or take a board seat or do sales. Um, we would need someone who's a scalable CEO. And that really shows that I didn't have founderitis, that I wasn't getting into the way of, I need to have the ego to be the CEO of this company. Right. Hmm. So founderitis. Founderitis, being too much of a founder for too long. Right. And not being, you know, not wanting to move out of the role for someone better. Webster's Dictionary defines founder Don't start that again. All right. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I might add it to, what's the other dictionary? The Urban Dictionary. Oh. might be in there. Yeah. Do not don't, browse. Don't look that up. Casually browse Urban Dictionary. <laughs> okay, so number 10. The number 10 reason why startups fail. Most people think this is actually the number one reason, but it's not. It's spending too much money. Hmm. And I'm, I don't say running out of money because that's the that's the effect, right? The cause is just like sometimes when people have a heart attack, that's, what are the reasons that led up to that? Spending too much money. Spending too much money, probably. <laughs> probably the same thing. In most cases. Yes. <laughs> so this is why it's important to have a very well-documented business plan that has your financial plan in it that talks about your budget and your sales forecast and that you are tracking what you said you were going to spend and you're, you give these sales quotas to your sales team, which in the beginning is you. So if you are spending too much money, then you obviously are going to not have a long, what's called a runway in the startup world. You need to make sure if you say, I'm only gonna spend $12,000 a month, that you are only in fact spending $12,000 a month. But Caroline, all these lean businesses, all these ones who want to take as little time as they can to, you know, forecast these financials. We've talked about this a little bit on the on the podcast before. Uh, any time spent doing that maybe is a waste of time, is is what some might say. So how do you how do you balance getting that runway worked out, making it applicable to your business, figuring out 
what kind of things you need to forecast and how how much you need to forecast and then actually applying it to the idea of not spending too much money. So if I was an investor and a company told me that it takes too much time to sit and write down a budget and forecast, I would run. That's a red flag. Because guess what? That's what it means to run a business. It's ultimately at the end of the day, you need to make money. So how do you know what the gross margins are? How do you know if you have a net profit or not? How do you know? What it, how do you know how you benchmark and compare to competitors unless you're actually looking at it on a daily basis? I mean, I walk into different retailers here in our town in Eugene and I ask them, what are your sales goals for today? And they can't answer me. And I hate it because then I predict in my mind, I'm like, oh no, this one's going to close in 18 months. And sure enough, they're closed. Because they're not focused on a goal, on a financial goal. And they probably don't even know, you know how much they're making per salesperson. So these are things that are really important to focus on. Otherwise, you will, if you're not paying attention to the money, the money will leave. And then you will fail. You know, Caroline, we know the statistic that, that 60% of, of the small businesses that failed last year did so because they ran out of cash, but were profitable at the time that right. they ran out of cash. We've shared that statistic before. Mm -hmm. And I mean, how heartbreaking is that? Like you said, you've got this cool corner store with fancy mustard or, uh, you know, a nice new CrossFit gym and they're all, uh, you know, acting crazy in there, whatever a CrossFit is, I never understood it. But <laughs> it's nice that these small businesses are trying, it's nice that they're opening. And the fact that they're profitable should indicate that they're going to stay up up and running. So, right. you know, how do you not stay up and running if you're profitable? And the answer is you just run out of cash. And it sounds like you've got a good uh, sort of tip there for everyone to think about if you're just starting up. Yeah, I would say, depending on what your business is, is come up with what your top five KPIs are or key performance indicators. What are those five levers that if they move up or down, they change your revenue or your expenses. What are those things? And that's what you need to focus on. And if you don't have time to do that, then you probably will fail. There are a ton of businesses out there who are surviving, but they're not thriving. So these are the top 10 reasons startups fail. And this doesn't just apply to high growth, fast you know, startups like tech companies. This applies to any kind hmm. of startup. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, send us an email at bcast at bplans.com. That's bcast at bplans.com. Our theme music is by Jasinski. The Bcast is brought to you by Palo Alto Software, makers of bplans.com and LivePlan. Visit bplans.com for everything you need to start planning and growing your business. You've been watching The Bachelorette this season? The show is breaking down. How? Too much. What are they, they jump doing? the chicken? 